All right, listen. This is episode 52 of Corporate Lunch, the GQ style podcast, the podcast of the award-winning magazine GQ Style. Um, I'm Noah. I'm here with Rachel. That's me. And Sam. Hey. We are Corporate Lunch. We are an award-winning, uh, we are a podcast affiliated with an award-winning magazine, I should say. Um, no small We're thing. Award adjacent. We won an ASME. Um, we've only we've only been around for three years. Uh, I mean, it's not. It comes as no surprise that you know, since we do make the best magazine in the business. But congrats to our photo and design squad and to our fearless editor in chief, Will Welch, co-founder of Corporate Lunch. Today, um, in honor of our new award-winning status and just since it's the business of the this customer service podcast, we're going to do the spring trend report. We sure are. Um, inspired very much by um, Rachel Seville-Tastian's very own sort of um, ongoing series, a franchise, if you will. Lots of people do trend reports, but you, I feel like, sort of truly own the seasonal trend report. Right. I isolate vibes and objects and products. Right. Um, that's your superpower. Sam, what do you think about this spring trend report we're about to drop? I, I mean, it's going to change everything for our listeners. Yeah, I think. I think so. That's a good assessment. It's going to really define the season for them. So spring, um, you know, spring begins when it begins on March 21st. So, you know, until then, it's still winter. So that means that we're giving you ample time to prepare yourself exactly to right. lean into all of these yeah. big, juicy trends. Yeah, it's called being timely. It's called having a peg. It's called um, breaking news, making news. Yeah, uh, I did see some T-shirts out there this morning. It's a warm-ish day. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, it just made me feel really good about, um, you know, where it's all headed. Where it's all headed. So anyway, without any further ado, uh, let's get into it. Uh, I should say these vibes are not, you know, these aren't up for debate. These are things that are actively happening. Yeah, not it's, kind, it's like, unfortunate, this is a terrible metaphor, but it's like climate change. It's too late yeah. to stop some of what's about to be announced. <laughs> That's right. It's science also, and it's undeniable. Sam, maybe you could should be the official uh, trend reader. Give us... The first spring 2019 corporate lunch trend of the season. Trend number one, Fleetwood Mac. All right. Um, the band. <laughs> the band, the, the music, the, the culture, the, the lifestyle. So here's something I just want to say, like, the reason why I feel like, uh, first of all, when I don't remember which one of us said Fleetwood Mac first. but You did. But when, when I <laughs> said it, that. <laughs> when I said it, we were like, whoa, like, yeah. yes, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And I think the reason that's been happening is that, first of all, you have all these like disparate characters who have sort of been bubbling up in and out of pop culture for the past couple of years. Characters from the band. Yes, characters yeah. from the band. But the music itself is also like- That's Lindsay, you, Stevie, John. Christine. Christine. And the other one. Yeah. Mick. <laughs> yeah, Mick. Mick. <laughs> um, and I think there's been, like a lot of those songs are things that we all grew up with. A landslide. But, exactly. But like in the background, in the background, like not in the way that like, you know, we grew up hearing like bad 80s or, you know, music or the right. Beatles. Not that the Beatles are bad, but they're like almost eh. too everywhere. So Fleetwood Mac has like got this tour that they're, you know, they're basically like back together. Yeah. So like that is intriguing. But and and they're tour. They're going to tour without Lindsay, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, they kicked Lindsay out. Tell but us more about that, the, Sam. He's kind of the best one. Well, apparently the last time that they did some like benefit show and um, Lindsay really pissed off Stevie for like, uh, you know, making fun of her, like making a face at her when she was giving some speech and she was like rambling on. And I guess uh, she said that she would never be on a stage with him again. So they kicked him out. Wow. Because you got to take Stevie over Lindsay. Like, right. Totally. 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. Well, okay. and also it's badass that they're still fighting. You know, all these know, other bands so get long. back together. Like Dead and Company, it's like, oh, we're just like a nice family, you know, like we miss Jerry and we got yeah. John Mayer. This is like, they're still kicking people in and out of the band. Yeah. I know. They've, I had, just... they've had 18 members now. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> think, Historically? Because they brought two people in to replace Lindsay. So I think that brings the number of Fleetwood Mac members to 18. Incredible. Um, I just, to familiarize myself a little bit, read Cameron Crowe's pretty incredible 1977 Rolling Stone cover mm-hmm. story. The cover stories used to be so sick. And yeah. it's, uh, I know, <laughs> it's, it's a, it is twisted, and it's a very um, thorough piece of reporting where he spent time with all the members of the band individually. They would not be interviewed as a group. Because they had all they had all just broken up basically right yeah, before. Yeah, they were all in relationships and they'd all broken up and they all talk openly about it and um you know it's it's basically portrayed as a, a great big soap opera. Um it's a lot of fun to read, but uh so I definitely think one appealing thing about Fleetwood Mac and maybe for um and why it's relevant to the spring of 2019 is about these sort of five central characters and um the intensity and and singularity of their like personalities yeah and their style yeah um also a rock band with two awesome women in it yeah is a big deal um they did a tremendous amount of cocaine you can practically hear it you really can yeah. uh, when you listen to them and wait can I, let's just talk about what that means for a second yeah because <laughs> to me what that means is like on rumors you hear this like extremely stylized intensity yeah and like this in this aggression yeah. but that is ex- very controlled in a certain way well, and very mm-hmm. directed towards a specific end which Majorly. is usually like a crazy guitar shredding yeah. and some really intense drums and majorly focused like that album is so airtight yeah. every song so dialed, is yeah. so yeah. airtight and then, but then I think you still hear it on like Tusk, which is a sort of more bizarre and artful and experimental thing mm-hmm. where it starts, where it's like that same sort of polish, but just like put through a meat grinder or something. Right. And, you know, it's almost like two sides, two ends of a, a Coke bender, a Coke binge. What do you call it when you do cocaine for like a, a week and a, a month? Yeah. A year. Yeah. And when you do it for like four years, then you make Tusk. If you do it for long <laughs> enough. Um, this isn't, this, you know, corporate lunch isn't really about drugs. This is a pretty corporate environment here. But um, you do hear it. and But also the music is very sentimental, sometimes borderline generic yeah. kind of soft rock. But that's rock. part of the appeal. Definitely. Um, and I think... The appeal there comes in when you get, you get like, the the voice, you know, the the those five different voices and styles all sort of smashed in together. Right. I guess maybe all bands were like that. Okay, but I think there's an obvious um, comparison or, or point to be made, and you've already brought it up in thinking about the Grateful Dead as, uh, the foil. This right, right. 
And how does Fleetwood Mac compare to that? Because the one thing that Fleetwood Mac sort of lacks, what Fleetwood Mac has in spades is like style and character and like personality and just jams, just big Mm -hmm. songs. But what the dead have is like an aesthetic, like a a culture, a scene, and um, but I mean, and like less than music. Like undoubtedly, yeah. a lot of the people, a lot of the people responsible for this resurgence of the dead are not interested in the music. They're interested right. in in the in the t-shirts. Right? right, but there's also, I mean, the thing about the dead is that there's like whether you're into the music or you're just there for the t-shirts. There's this sense of community, right? Yeah. Which is with Fleetwood Mac as a contrast. Like you're there for like this whole history of people coming together, falling apart and coming together. And the funny thing about Fleetwood Mac as well is that it's like they never intended, I don't think they ever intended to do any of this. You know, it's one of these bands that, and bands can't do this anymore. It's kind of interesting. Like they made like three or four albums in totally different genres. Like if you listen to their very early music, it's blues music. Um, And that was like kind of what they had in mind. But then they sort of like, you know, it was kind of this like musician networking where yeah. they began to meet each other and say like, okay, well, like Stevie could bring something interesting that like, you know, to this and, you know, Christine can sort of like write these really great pop songs, yeah. which like we write like more rock songs and that sort of thing. Um, and I think it's like if the dead has this community that you can just tap in and out of like Fleetwood Mac has this whole ridiculous history yeah. that you can you know, you can sort of like pick your player and be like, okay, I'm like yeah. the Mick or I'm the, you know, Stevie or whatever. Where are my, where are my Peter Green heads at? A lot yeah. of drama. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I don't know about, yeah, that Peter Green character seems. There's so many, um, the dead has a limited appeal, right? Like the t-shirts have certainly like opened it up more. Having John Mayer, you know, in the yeah. reunion group has like kind of brought it to a higher level of recognition. The rise but, of microdosing in the culture exactly. has helped. But there's so many eras of Fleetwood Mac yeah. that like anyone, it picks up on like every trend, yeah. right? Like yeah. rock revival, like the 1970s, like this yeah, kind rock. of like bland ugliness, the witchiness of Stevie, like yeah. the cool kind of like over stylized, like pop music that Christine made in the 80s. Yeah. Like that, like even if you look at, um, you know, like the cover of Tango in the Night, it was really, which is like that sort of Matissean looking or like Henry Rousseau looking album cover in mm-hmm. the jungle. Yeah. Like Stussy made a t-shirt that just, I don't know if it's on purpose. I mean, it has to be on purpose, but like just sort of looks like that yeah. album yeah. cover. Cause like that, even just that aesthetic, like seems really great right now. Yeah. It's, it doesn't, the, it's funny. Cause there is, there is like the drama and the relationships and the complexity and the depth and the like mythology and all of it. But then I feel like the dead have that thing that's like, everyone's like, yeah, my dad is a huge deadhead, so now I love the dead. But no one's like, dad is a Fleetwood Mac head. I think everyone- It's like a more private- just liked Fleetwood Mac. I mean, they were so popular. They were the biggest, yeah. biggest band they in the world. They sold the most, they sold like 100 million albums or something, right? Yeah. yeah. So what? When? what's the deal with this reunion tour? It's, is it going on now? Is yeah. it about to start? Yeah. It's underway. It's underway. Yes. So maybe some people are already going to see them. I mean, a reunion tour alone is not enough to land you a spot on the corporate lunch spring 2019 trend report. But uh, Fleetwood Mac just feels right for the moment. Mm -hmm. Is there a better way to put it? Okay, I guess I have to say, like, I think that watching 
like the menswear revival of Grateful Dead was like a lot of people have now noticed that that's happening. You know, like at first it was yeah. just sort of like lunchies who were seeing it, <laughs> but like you know, like I did. There was like there were a couple of times where like friends of mine, either women who work in fashion who are like not really readers of GQ right. or like you know like losers um <laughs> would sort of say like why is everyone like suddenly listening to the grateful dead or like what's yeah. the deal with john mayer like why is why is he so wear, wearing all this like crazy clothing yeah and i think that once people started to recognize that that was happening they were like i want to get into that but like grateful dead is like frankly not that listenable <laughs> to a lady's delicate ear yeah and what i want is this <laughs> stylish elevator music yeah all right there you have it um sam I think we're ready for trend number two. Trend number two. Golf. Kind of goes well with Fleetwood Mac in yeah. a way, right? <laughs> yeah. Kind yeah. of like up. in the same spectrum. Of blandness. Yeah, of blandness. Bland, but intense. Bland, intense. White people love it. Um, <laughs> people, you know, who do cocaine love it. <laughs> Golfers probably do a lot of cocaine, right? They're used to. It's more Dustin Johnson the notor- is a he's one of the best players on tour and he had a pretty crazy coke problem. All right, we're not going to talk about drugs anymore in this episode. <laughs> except for trend number 8, which is cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> um I have a really tough relationship with golf, but uh because I don't play and I don't really think it's all that cool, but it's so one thing that I think is important is that that golf get not be too closely associated with Trump and and the evils of his family and his empire, and that good point. Golf is allowed uh, its own independence from that and freedom to to be uh, whatever it wants to be, without without having to shoulder that burden. But um, Sam, you golf. Sure Rachel, do. do you golf? No. It seems like you could have been like a child golf prodigy <laughs> until that like the wrist injury that ended your yeah. career <laughs> oh i just played a boarding school but <laughs> um sam tell us a little bit about golf i bet a lot of corporate lunch listeners love golf and yeah. love, love to golf i think what's happening with golf right now is that golf is sort of it's sort of dying and ossifying a little bit there's mm-hmm. like there was like this huge boom in um in golf course golf course construction um probably like 30 years ago when everyone sort of started playing golf like Mm -hmm. when people started getting into it um and people started like really following professional golfers in the pga tour Um, and also there was tiger woods yeah tiger woods like tiger woods like really brought some celebrity to golf um but a lot of those golfers who's who like was were sort of fueling that boom are now getting quite old and there's a lot of room there's all these courses and not that many not that many people to play on them um, so I think golf is like a culture. Is that true? You mean like general public or you mean, mm-hmm. cause I yeah, thought yeah. all these good courses, it's like you have to camp out to get a tea time and, well, and like the really, know, know somebody. Like and, the, like the pebble beaches of the world. That's yeah. just if a you're like a top them, 50 though. golf course or yep. something, then, then which you're going to be really pretty much cool. Club. Yeah. Which, which is, is really, which is really yeah. prestige. Um, so there's, uh, there's sort of this movement in golf to make it really like quite a, quite a bit more appealing to young people. Mm. Um, so there's like, even, you know, there's like the PGA tour is sort of relaxing its rules a little bit about Um, what, like what you can wear and like, it's sort of not like drink beer and smoke cigarettes now. No, they actually outlawed that because, um, John Daly, one of the all time great golf dressers, um, and major champion, he would drink beer like constantly while he was playing. And then one time he was, um, in a tournament and and he drove a tee shot off of a like tall boy of beer and he got in a lot of trouble. (laughs) 
um, but he was sick. And um, so there's like Friend new, pod, you know, there's Daly. like new, um, there's new like golf apparel brands that are springing up that like, right. you know, front of the pod, Adam Rappaport compared one called Malbin to Supreme. He was yeah. like, this is the Supreme of golf. Wow. I'm not totally convinced, but um, my you eyes know. just rolled out of my head and fell on the floor. <laughs> I kicked them across the room. Somebody stepped on them. Um, but yeah, I get that. And golf has always been sort of a, a, a nice like haven for very bizarre characters um, because there's... Well, there, to be good at it, you have to be some sort of psychopath. The rules right? are really strict. The dress code is really strict. So anyone who sort of deviates from that and tries to introduce some like personality and flair, um, you know, whether on like a amateur or professional level, like really, really stands out. Um, so like plaid pants. Does anyone do the hat with the pom-pom on top? Tam O'Shanter. What's that? <laughs> That's what the hat is That's called. the name of it? Tam O'Shanter. Oh, my God. Fuck. That was yeah, I do. Good. That's what I play in, actually. I guess, so, Sam, like, what's interesting about it, too, is that my understanding of golf is that you have to have a pretty, like, it's not like you pick up a ball and you're just a natural. Like, the barrier to even just hit the ball, yeah. like, the number of things that you have to do, the way you hold the club, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard. kind of fitting the right club for you. Like, it's an absolutely maddening sport. Yeah. 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 It's a lot like skateboarding in that way. Like, anyone could could come from any walk of life having never seen a basketball or a basketball hoop step onto a court and within five minutes make their first basket it's interesting you say that because golf is the new skateboarding Um, (laughs) shut up (laughs) but uh similarly like for skateboarding you can step onto a basketball court with a skateboard and you're not going to be able to do a kickflip for like weeks at Mm -hmm. best and i think same with golf like you you can step onto a uh, basketball court with a golf club (laughs) and you're not going to like make what's it like under par for like on a hole for like Like it would take you probably probably your entire life most golfers will never like break 80 probably like ever but there are all of these golf is the new skateboarding yeah Yeah. really trying to get me to well and and i think an important point is that is that a lot of um i think golf skateboarders love golf it should be said like eric costin sean malto all the Nike skaters why. love, uh, well, probably because Nike gives them sick gear and then they're like, oh, we should golf. But no, I mean, um, it has a similar obsessive quality, a similar intense frustration that comes with uh, uh, the ups and downs of failure and success and hot streaks and cold streaks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, also it's an the- individual effort that, I mean, golf is, is competitive. Skateboarding isn't really by nature, but uh, and skateboarding doesn't have scores, but there are a lot of similarities and i do think people who are good at either of them have to be a little bit psychotic or sociopathic or something yeah i mean both are great hang sports yep like there's a lot of yeah, downtime. Pretty social, I guess. Yeah. People like, golf together, right? People yeah. golf together. Like it's where you like traditionally it's a, pl- a great place to make deals. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I love to make deals. Yeah. So I'm sort of wondering like why I'm not You're golfing. a deal maker. I love to make Skateboarders deals. Skateboarders like, don't make deals though. Yeah. Well, you could like buy Drug some deals. weed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once again. But like the idea the idea of like going to like the driving range at the Chelsea. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's like, a good mm-hmm. date too. Really, That's yeah. a real date thing, right? You always yeah. see a nice couple out. Oh, we just met on Raya and now we're gonna go drive some balls. See where this leads. Uh I'm guessing that probably happens, right? Totally. And then there's of course putt putt. We probably shouldn't talk about these. This is bring this is not This is bring it down. This is bring it way Don't down. Be so low. <laughs> just good to point out that golf has you know highs and highs and lows but um why is so sam i think you're really honest something i'm aware of one guy cameron champ who is a a young it golfer Mm -hmm. bursting onto the scene gq should probably do something big with him soon or um 
is it is it that generation? Is it it's your peers out here who are bringing new energy to golf? Yeah, and guys like Cameron Champer, you know, they're they're handsome, they're pretty stylish as as, as golfers yeah. go. And they're like athletes. Um, He's and they're, fit they're, and like they're absolutely jacked. Like yeah. Cameron Champ is like They should maybe play with their shirts sort of, off. They bring the sort of athleticism that you would normally see in like basketball or football or whatever to yeah. golf, which I mean, historically, it's been a, a sport played by people who really don't work out and who yeah. smoke and drink like on the course. I like my golfer to be fat Which, and kind of drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's a game of it's a game of inches and sort of whatever helps, um, whatever helps it's you a get game there. Of um, but but guys like Cameron Champ are, are making it look like it's a real sport yeah. when it's historically been sort of maligned as something that is more of like a game or a pastime. I'm looking at photos of him now, and one thing I'm noticing is that he gets to wear a belt. And like in mm-hmm. what sport mm. do you get to wear a belt? Like a nice leather belt. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, you still have to wear, you still have to, you kind of look like, I mean, it's not quite athletic apparel, although you're, it's definitely like a technical polo and probably yeah, like you a, sort of a wear chino a te- with some mm-hmm. stretch. Mm-hmm. I actually hate those kind of clothes, but I get that there's a, they do go a, a long way to stylishness like, to it. You know, I but, think you could like wear Marnie golfing and that would be really fly. Yeah. Yeah. Some guys wear like Ralph Lauren and Burberry and stuff like that. Right. Um, sort of like the more the hotter uh, golfers get kitted they, out. And they're endorsed by those brands, mm-hmm. right? Like those brands yeah. pay or, or, or dress golfers. Uniqlo. Or um, but like Supreme you know, should. Why isn't Supreme in on the golf? Has Supreme done like a, a, a ping collab or a, right or even some teas? Like I a guess it's collab. too. Yeah. Supreme sort of keeps it downtown. Like they don't. Yeah. It, golf is a little maybe. It's out sort of, of their, elitist out of their I think, purview in there in their perspective um but um you know like tom brown did a golf collection yeah. recently like there's i every, wouldn't go so far tom to say brown that, collection is a golf yeah. collection maybe i wouldn't go so far to say that golf is like um intersecting with the sort of fashion world in a significant way but um i think it does inform how a lot of american men sort of get dressed um that's for damn sure i like the short sleeve windbreaker that's a real golf thing right? oh i have really? a bunch of those yeah they're sick <laughs> What a weird garment that is! I love, um, I love my short sleeve windbreakers. Yeah, you got to keep the forearms uh, out in the in the air, I guess. I think we should go to Chelsea Pier sometime. Yeah. All right, we'll have a nice we'll little a date, outing, a corporate lunch date. Um, all right, so that's the second trend. I think uh, mm-hmm. that one probably really lit some fires in the loins of corporate lunch listeners. Uh, don't you guys think? Oh yeah. 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 All right. If you want to talk more about golf, please DM Sam Hine and he'll um, take you golfing. Not me. Yeah, Sam. Maybe Definitely. you'll get a take date. Take you down to Pinehurst. <laughs> uh, let's move along now. Um, Sam. Trend three. Basquiat. Ah, the great Jean-Michel Basquiat. <laughs> Basquiat. Um, who saw this one coming, eh? Basquiat, one of <laughs> one of the great uh, all time um, great contemporary American artists. Um, that's a terrible way to summarize what he's up to. So let's just get into the <laughs> t- get into the the meat of Basquiat. So the Brandt Foundation, um, Peter Brandt, uh, mega uh, wealthy art collector guy who has a foundation in Greenwich, Connecticut. Right? He does. Yeah. Uh, by foundation, I mean private museum. Mm-hmm. Just opened an outpost in the East Village of Manhattan on Sixth Street. So the Brandt Foundation is opening, open now, open this month. This this shiny, spiffy new building and an old um, an old Con Ed building that's been uh, refurbished into a private gallery. There's a pool. 
I thought it was a swimming pool, but it's probably just like a reflecting pool on the roof yeah. that you see through. I was right. really hoping it was for swimming, but I right, like a little Soho. It doesn't scene. seem likely. Um, uh, you know, the East Village hasn't. I think it's safe to say hasn't been cool for a, a very long time. Um, Not since Jean Michel Basquiat was alive. Yeah, and I think, um, and at which point it was extremely cool. Uh, you know, the whatever the story of gentrification is uh, uh, of that neighborhood is a thing. For another time, probably another podcast entirely, but the Brandt Foundation is opening with this big Basquiat show, 70 works by Basquiat, all of which were at the show at the Vuitton Foundation in Paris a, a year ago or something. So the show is traveling. It's in New York now. It just opened, and it's fully sold out. This this To go see the Peter Brandt, Brandt um, Foundation shows is free, but you have to book advance online, and it's been it's been fully booked. No big surprise there. Basquiat, probably one of the most famous, recognizable artists, period, right? But here's what Next I want to ask Picasso. you. Next to Picasso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, here's what I want to ask you, Noah, is like a lot of people would say Basquiat overexposed. Boring. Yeah. And that's very true. So, But like why is this a trend? So I think one of the things to recognize about that that I think we have to sort of protect is that is Basquiat has been the victim of or his work has been the victim of this like crazy art market market and speculation in the art market. Like a Basquiat painting sold for $110 million or something a year ago. That's just too much money. And uh, a couple power collectors around the world are just driving this market up and making it insane. So there's a lot of attention being, a lot of sort of negative attention being brought to Basquiat in that sense and also just a ton of publicity. And I think when you start associating an artist with that type of money and that type of deal and those types of collectors like the Mugrabis or you know who are like buying up all the Warhols in the world in order to control the price of them uh that's not a great thing the other thing is um he has had massive exposure i mean it's probably one of the most well-known stories of an artist's life period right. i mean people know every every aspect about him and getting his start writing graffiti or the the band he was in or dating Madonna. I mean, there's been... Being friends with Warhol. There's been so much... Uh, overexposure. Overexposure. And a Julian Schnabel biopic. Um, and I, I don't want to say that's unfortunate, but there's way more of that than there is people looking at his work. Yeah. Like, actually looking at his work. Um, and I think that right... So now, obviously, a lot of his work dealt with like racism and police brutality and and like themes that are very relevant now. So it's just worth looking at and reconsidering ev things happening in like this historical context and looking at the work of an artist who was like really dealing with that in a brilliant way, a beautiful way. And then, uh, it it feels it's just relevant in that sense. And then there's also he he himself. Ha was majorly famous and his work was majorly valuable while he was still alive at a time where he felt not valued you know where black men in america were not valued really at all he was his his work was tremendously um and i think that's a thing that just keeps being keeps repeating and being being echoed and i don't want to be i don't mean to like <laughs> be giving some lecture about like identity politics and stuff like that and what's going on with race in America. But what I mean to say is if you feel like Basquiat is overexposed or played out because of, I don't know, Swiss beats or, or uh, hype beast blog post, like go see the work because it's good. 
And it's it's disappointing or sad or weird that billionaires buy the paintings for $110 million because it creates, uh, it narrows the market, it fucks with the market, it, it creates a lot of noise and shit around the work that shouldn't otherwise really matter. The unfortunate irony of that too is that like he was probably, I think he was, like artists now like have to sell out, you know, like it's not a big deal to like do a collaboration with like a giant brand or to like license your name in some way. But he was actually the last, and that's a sort of interesting tension between him and Keith Haring, who was yeah. like, you know, sort of around the same age as him. And in a certain way they were kind they weren't really direct competitors, but they were sort of like speaking the same language, had a similar like fan base. Yeah. Um, like Keith Haring was like all about selling out, you know, like he opened this store in Soho where he like sold actual like Keith Haring merch so that like anyone could buy a Keith Haring essentially like right. in quotes. Um, whereas like Basquiat was very like worried about, you know, who he was associating with and whether or not it was like really cool. Like, was it too late to be like hanging out with Andy Warhol? Like, <laughs> is it like, okay, like, yeah, I'll wear an Armani suit, but I'm going to paint all over it because like, fuck you. Yeah. So it's interesting that like that is what has happened to him because like a big sort of theme of his life was resisting, but also being subject to the seduction of like that kind of exposure. And I, yeah, and that's exactly, I mean, there's so many like layers of this, but I think this Brandt Foundation opening in the East Village Mm -hmm. as sort of like a, a crown on the, you know, like a, a, a monument to the gentrification of that neighborhood uh, where he spent a lot of his time and, you know, opening with this show there. Uh, there's a lot of, it's like complicated, I guess. My point is I saw, I see people rolling their eyes metaphorically on Twitter or being down on Basquiat because there is a sense that it's basic and that people who talk too much about Basquiat or love his work too much are like Philistines. That's just like a, it's just a, it's like art history 101 or something. Yeah, it's just such like a cliche or such an uninteresting uh, thing to be like really into at this point. But I don't know when thinking about it all and I, I, I you know, I'm not like my, my big speech about it wasn't didn't really nail anything down quite perfectly. I think the point, though, is that you there's a lot to consider now, a lot to see, and I really think the paintings are great. And that $110 million painting is there in the show. Yeah. So you can go get a look at what $110 million looks like. So I saw the show when it was in Paris at the LVMH Foundation, and it was really like an emotional gut punch. I mean, there was 110. I think there's there's slightly less at the Brandt show. It's about half there's the paintings came maybe. here. Um, in Paris, and it really sort of builds up to like one of his last, one of the last paintings he did right before he died. Um, and it's fucking intense and, but you sort of have to go through it and like not really read like the names on the, on the, on the placards (laughs) because when you see, when you see who loaned it, you're like, fuck, this is like speculative capitalism, like at work. And most of it belongs to, um, or it was all organized by Bernard Arnault. He owns um, a bunch of them. LVMH. But it seems to me he wouldn't admit which one, he won't say which ones he owns, even though everyone knows. Mm -hmm. And like props to him for organizing the show. Like if he wasn't. If he wasn't this major guy, he wouldn't have been able to like call people and have them donate their, you know, lend their Basquiat's. But I didn't know about Bernard Arnault, um, richest man in Europe, that he lived in New York, and in, in that there's like this Wall Street Journal story, mm-hmm, yeah, that like says he was like walking around Soho one day in like 1979 or 1980 and stumbled upon 
Basquiat's work in some like gallery and started buying it. That was surprising for me to find out. Did everyone already know that? That Bernardo no that. was cruising around Soho buying art? He's got good taste. Did he buy it at Mary Boone's gallery? I don't know if it said, maybe. Shout out Mary Boone. <laughs> friend of the pod. <laughs> friend of, friend of big the friend pod. of the pod. Free uh, Mary. She'll come, she'll come through. She'll be, she'll be better and stronger for it. Um, yeah, I don't, it's, I guess it's, it's maybe weird that, that maybe I'm the one who's a little obsessed with the art market, uh, speculation and all that stuff, but it is a fascinating and undeniable sort of thing to consider. No, I think you're right, Noah, because when you think about it, the people who are kind of like, oh man, like a Basquiat show, like, it's not like they're like, I mean, I'm like on the Anna Mendieta wave, man. (laughs) Like, it's not like they're like picking out some other like unappreciated 80s artists and saying like, why are we paying more attention to this? It's like, they're just like jerks who would rather like, I don't know, yeah, like stare at something else. I do have, of course, I mean, I always sort of feel this way when, when these things happen. You're like, I mean, this is at a private foundations gallery where the owner of, you know, the brands own many Basquiat. So they have an interest in doing this. But there is also a sense of like, man, do we need do we need all this attention for Basquiat? He already gets all the attention. Let's talk about another artist. I'm here to say it's okay to talk about Basquiat. And he's great. Anyway, there you have it. Um, if you're mad... These are just the trends. These are, like, we yeah, can't, we're, this, this is, is science. Just what comes to us, it's science. Um, I have heard that despite the show being sold out at the Brandt Foundation, what happens is they put you on a wait list and you will get in eventually. So it's like getting into a nightclub. So there's hope. I also think you can have your parents bribe the water polo teacher at the Brandt Foundation and they can get you in through a side door. Uh, Sam. Trend four. Elegance. Ah, <laughs> that's a nice one, isn't it? It's a nice trend. Um, Let that one linger. Elegance to me is we're now in the in the te- in um fashion territory. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, not, I think it's not a fashion fully, and lifestyle but, trend. Yeah, Rachel, tell us about elegance. Well, I think the reason why elegance is a trend is that people are sort of wondering, like, if a lot of the big trends that we've experienced recently in fashion and in life have been you know, kind of loud, aggressive, macho yep. things, yep. right? And I think that we're now- Not just for men, right? You mean- Yeah, I like think for women is, too. Yeah. yeah, across the board. And um, like even Gucci, there's like a kind of glitzy like hardness to yeah. it. It's not a very like soft or like sumptuous thing. That's right. But and now like those are all trends that started like in 2015, even some of them in 2014. And what year is it now? Yes, 2019. I mean, and come on. And people are like, okay, tired of these trends. What's next? Yeah. And you see a lot of people predicting different things. Like, oh, like it's gonna be all about like a kind of super Celine sized aesthetic, yeah. or like people are gonna start wearing suits. Or like that, you know, that sort of thing. But what all of these trends have in common is just kind of like a gentleness, like a yeah. sense of elegance, kind of a, a purity, like yeah. not aggressive, but like still making a statement. Yeah, I think um, I was thinking about it in the collections. I, I was just thinking of like runway collections as one way of um, kind of, I don't know, looking at a thing. Uh, Grace Wales Bonner, mm-hmm. very elegant. Extremely elegant. But not not um not like weak not yeah. not soft to the point of like uh, uh like breezy and and like flimsy like it still mm-hmm. feels sort of like strong and like assertive but elegant mm-hmm. uh la mer 
really elegant. I think of as majorly elegant. elegant. And then... Like, easy to wear suits. Yeah. Like, almost like putting on, like, a sweatsuit. Um, And I was also thinking about uh, Jonathan Anderson and both uh, J.W. Anderson and Lueve... As as kind of elegant, not in a in a traditional or like a obvious way, but definitely an elegance to what he does. Because what I was thinking about is like elegant can kind of feel like a tired term or like one of those terms that doesn't necessarily. It's hard to know exactly what it means or the things that you think it mean might be like not so appealing, like wimpy and soft or like old timey or out or of musty day. Or, yeah. yeah imperious or intimidating um but then i was like no i think that this does exist in all these other ways and and um sam hines a really elegant guy don't you think yeah he oh, he's like the poster child of elegance yeah how's it feel to be so elegant it feels fucking amazing <laughs> which is why we're which is why this is a big trend that we're recommending to you because you guys should really get in on this um Claire Waite Keller's last Givenchy collection got me fired up about elegance. Yeah. Yeah, people are really dying to make big pronouncements about the suit, about suits. Yeah. The suit's dead. The suit's alive. The suit will never die, which is just also so, so dramatic and bizarre. Yeah. And like, uh, just even using those terms in any way about suits or sneakers or streetwear or whatever the hell it is, is just so crazy. Um, dead or alive, like whatever. It's demented. Uh, sometimes you wear a suit, sometimes you don't. I don't. I don't really know what else to say about it. Um, suits can be cool; they can be whack. I just think that the the thing is elegance. Mm-hmm. I do think that's the thing. If you're gonna wear a suit or not, I think suits kind of have an appeal because right now and for uh, the spring 2019 season, which we are currently in, although spring starts next week, this is episode 52 of Corporate Lunch, the customer service award-winning adjacent fashion podcast. Uh, suits kind of have an, an innate elegance. Yes, but uh, not uh, every I think Not every suit. Yeah, what, what you're putting your finger on something interesting because this idea of I'm like, glad you're saying that because I didn't think I was putting my finger quite anywhere. <laughs> um, like the thing about suits is that people t- like, I think a lot of people who are talking about like suit living or dead are thinking about, okay, people want to be really dressed up because we haven't been dressed up right. in a while. Yeah. And in fact, like, that's not the thing. That's not the thing at all. Like, I don't think that we're really in like reactionary fashion anymore yeah. unless we're talking about like polit or like people reacting to like politics or like world vibes. I think that like each trend flows into the next trend yeah. and is just like a tweaked thing. So like it's kind of like what you're seeing happening with like Louis Vuitton and uh Dior is that they're still like into their, you know, like streetwear kind of like, you know, uh foundation yeah but it's like they're just driving like these more kind of like relaxed and like um confident silhouettes yeah rather than it being because you can wear a suit and look like imperious and terrifying and not elegant you know like elegance is about a kind of relaxation what what could (laughs) i what can i do to be more elegant anything just calm down. It's where shinier fabrics. Breathe. In general. I'm not sure that the shiny fabrics are going to do it. Maybe. Um, sometimes I worry that I'm not elegant enough. Uh, certainly not Sam Hine levels of elegant. But look, I'm comfortable with how, with, I'm I'm the right amount of elegant for me. And maybe this, you know, currently I'll become somewhat more elegant based on this trend report. 
which, uh, as we've said, is undeniable and is based on science. And I think one one last point is that people got really into like scum bros um, mm, yeah. recently, which is not elegant. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why there there was sort of like this pop cultural fascination with got with like celebrities or whatever who are just dressing like absolute shit. And you know, like Shia LaBeouf wow. is like cool when he steps out in like a snap tee and like you know shorts or whatever. But steps out in. But that's easy. That's like dressing. You know, that's like punching down if you're if you're trying to emulate that. You know, and like I wore Birkenstocks and Carhartt pants to the bodega this morning but then i put on a suit and went to work that's really nice elegance yeah elegance all right sam i've had enough of you trend five collage dressing this is um is this related to elegance yeah i would say it's but it's a really separate idea right yeah uh, this is related maybe to um, I was trying to make sense of collage dressing, which is a phrase that Rachel coined um, that I'd never heard before because no one had ever said it before. Uh, shape forward dressing. I think a, a lot of it is shape forward dressing. I mean, the shape w- down. Yeah. So or essentially, what this means is that rather than thinking like I'm going to wear this like really amazing item mm-hmm. today. And like I'm gonna put some stuff around the really amazing item. Right. Is that you put on one great item, then you maybe add another item, and you're uh, you just keep like putting things together in the way that like one assembles a collage to make sure that like all the space is filled and that the balance is like adequate. Yeah. And you're not really thinking about like. You know, the way that I do it personally is, like, I don't really think about the colors going together. Yeah. I'm thinking about, like, how do the shapes balance each other out. Right. And you just trust in the end. In the end, you may you may, you may may wind up with a bit of pleasing um, cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. or, uh, or some unexpected uh, combinations. But what you ultimately get is something that makes sense as a whole. Mm-hmm. Rachel, can you describe Maybe, the outfit that, if you, you're lucky. that you were wearing the other day? Uh, because I think that was a nice representation of collage dressing. So the most recent uh, collage forward outfit that I assembled was I started with, I was like, okay, like I want to wear, I was in a sporty mood because I mm-hmm. was about to interview Maureen Sayre. Yeah, and, and so because I because you're of, a great athlete, and I because I'm a great athlete, so I wanted to be like ready to interview Marine Sarah, who does a lot of like you know race car inspired and like rhythmic gymnastics inspired outfit yeah. outfits. So I wore some motocross pants that I bought at Chloe Seventy's yard sale, and I thought because does that mean that she once wore those pants? Yes. Who makes them? Do uh, you know? They're like from some kind of motocross company. Mm. Um, so those have lots of like loud neon colors and like pieces of plastic that say like speed on them. Mm-hmm. Then um, I was like, these are really slim fit. So I need a giant shirt. So I added a giant Dries Van Noten shirt in a completely different color story. Like it looks like a pajama shirt. Yeah. Then I was like, like okay. those two pieces definitely belong to two different people. Yeah. Then I thought, you Except know, those two people are you. Yeah. <laughs> then I thought I need a, a nice little jacket on top. So I wore a Dries Van Noten 
like eggplant purple and neon green kind of like paisley silk jacket yeah just to give a little bit more shape to the outfit Mm -hmm. then i thought well of course i need a shoe but it has to be neutral however i don't own any neutral (laughs) shoes the most neutral shoe that i own is a uh sperry like captain's loafer in a colorway called smoked elk Um, and <laughs> so none of these colors remotely go together, but they have all the right shapes. Yeah. And so it worked. Um, most people probably don't own things that are as crazy as some of the things you just described, which I think works to the benefit of others when when uh, attempting this. I just like the spirit of it in that um, you're not matching things like in obvious ways, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, think there's we, a lot of yeah. freedom of of expression yeah. and of uh, fit thinking, <laughs> fit philosophy that really just allows for some strange and cool things to happen, which I think everyone wants to see more of. I do. Well, that's what America's all about, right. freedom of expression. And so. brand synergy. Like right now, I'm wearing Gimme 5 and Chanel at the same time. Yeah. You you do you do a lot of high risk maneuvers. Your your sweet spot is high risk. Yeah. And an amazing sort of high heel rubber or plastic a um, necklace, necklace made of Barbie shoes. Yeah. It looks like a Hawaiian lei. I thought they were fresh flowers, and then I realized they're tiny plastic shoes. That does it for the spring 2019 corporate lunch trend report. The first of many the first of some could be the last who knows you never really know what's going to happen around here this is episode 52 of corporate lunch i'm noah with sam and rachel we are um so glad you tuned in mm-hmm. um let's do a couple of vibes let's do 13 vibes 13. um i got a vibe it is uh, the great legendary editor of Thrasher Magazine, Jake Phelps, RIP, he died. He is sort of the heart and soul of, of skateboarding in some ways. A legendary, um, uh, truly iconic figure. I mean that in, in the real sense of the word. Uh, uh, a, a scary, uh, gruff kind of guy. I never met him. I don't, I don't know him. He probably would have scared the shit out of me if I ever did, but... Thrasher uh, is uh, majorly important to me and, and apparently to everyone else, and um, he really he really kept kept things moving along. And uh, uh, you'll see many many tributes to Jake Phelps. Uh, you, I'm sure you already have. And I would say read Willie Stally's um, California Magazine profile of Jake Phelps. Shout out Willie, uh, and read that story to get a sense of the man uh, before that would be the most that would be the most crucial crucial thing to do r.i.p jake phelps uh skater die there you have it rachel you got a vibe quilted fabrics all right thank uh, you uh you know who has a really good uh quilted garment is the soloist uh there's a soloist quilted bomber out for spring that's fucking extremely cool and has a very different vibe than bodie which is currently owning the quilted fabrics um, department. That's but not quilted fabrics. Those are, those are quilts. quilts. Oh, what's a quilted fabric? It's got a quilted sort like of batting? stitch to it. Yeah. All right. Well, I fucked that Supreme up. Supreme has a good quilted coat coming out. Yeah. That's sort of for golf. Yeah. Sam, do you have a vibe? 
Um, my vibe is Claritin. It's Claritin season. Sponsor the pod. Damn, I, I didn't take one this morning, and I really want. I really wish I had. I feel you. Seasonal allergies, major downside to the spring. To the spring trends. But Claritin definitely a vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shout out Claritin. Whatever. I don't. I don't. Really you know. good box. Design. I'm not. I'm not out here for big pharma. Uh, Marine Sarah. She just lost some great menswear. And you talked to her. Yeah. What'd she say about it? Uh, well, she said that she doesn't want to do like crazy couture pieces for men yet. Uh, which is like what she does for women, yeah. like these insane couture things that actually just look like they look on the surface like race car uniforms. But if you look a little longer, they're much wilder than that. Um, but uh, yeah, so she did like a little tie dye silk moir suit. It's super cool. Which is really beautiful. It's on essence, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and she made these really beautiful fleeces out of dead stock bedspreads, like kind of ugly 80s bedspreads mm-hmm. that you would find in a French grandmother's home. Mm-hmm. Um, and she made them into fleece jackets and um, coats. And those are really great as well. And then, of course, her classic moon print jersey pieces. A lot of um, corporate lunch listeners have maybe never heard of Marine Sarah. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Marine's only made three collections and she used to be, I don't know if she was the head designer for women's wear at Balenciaga, but she was like one of the primary designers. And um, how old is she and where is she from? She's 27 and she's Belgian. But it's funny to think that like the two people who were running Balenciaga for most of the, you know, time that Demna has been there were Martine Rose and Marine. That's extremely cool. I love Martine Rose and I'm just getting to know Marine. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Episode 52. We'll see you next week on episode 53. Bye.